Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Dave. Hello. And Tori. Hello, Internet. Uh, no Craig this week. It's his birthday. His parents dropped in on him unexpectedly to surprise him, uh, which surprises are wonderful for schedules, aren't they? Very. Yeah, the storm warden didn't see this one coming. Uh, so we start every week with good thing, Dave, good. Uh, oh, man. Um, so many good things. Let me just pull up this list of good things that I have. Pick one out. Uh, my good thing this week is Celeste, the video game about a girl in a mountain. Uh, I was actually just watching a stream of Celeste earlier before we got started recording. Yeah, it's a really challenging game, really touching story about uh, a girl who is, you know, fighting... You know, struggling with anxiety and panic attacks, and so she goes to this mountain called Celeste Mountain. The girl's name is Madeline. Celeste is the name of the mountain. And, uh, you know, to challenge herself and to overcome this, like, physical obstacle, which represents the internal obstacle that she's fighting along with. And the gameplay and the music really complement the themes really well. It's uh, fun and challenging, but it's like, it's challenging, but not in a punishing way. Like, there are frequent checkpoints and infinite lives, so it's not like, oh, you you didn't memorize this pattern in three tries? Well, you go back to start. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a fair, it's a tough challenge, but it's fair in how it lets you approach the challenges and it, uh, really rewarding. I, I would and, say that that's, that's probably, like, its biggest selling point is that it is extremely fair. The The levels don't kill you without you knowing exactly how and why you did badly like your controller might drop an input that's that's totally a thing that could happen that feels unfair but that's not the game um you can do it badly and you will many many times but like the game doesn't ever kill you cheaply like it's super duper fair Mm-hmm. and the soundtrack's available and like Bandcamp and Spotify and stuff too. I actually I listen to it on Spotify a lot, but I did also pay for it and download it on on Bandcamp because it supports the artist better. Um, but yes, yeah, I, I would say that if you haven't played the game, you wouldn't get as much out of the soundtrack because the way the the music makes you feel is because it's like reminds you of Madeline's struggles. But yeah, it's like the soundtrack is also very worth getting if uh, if you've played the game. Um, all right, so my good thing this week is we just celebrated American Thanksgiving, and you know what that means. A new episode of Till Death Do Us Blart. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I am working my way through the backlog, uh, of which there is now actually a decent amount. Um, I just finished the like re-listening to the first episode, and yeah, it's great. They mm-hmm. watch Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 every year on American Thanksgiving for all time. And this is the sixth. I think this is the sixth. Like the first one was in 2015. Yeah, this would be the sixth. There was a bonus pandemic episode um, over the summer where they watched Paul Blart Mall Cop 1, which is kind of a a fun extra, but not officially part of the canon. And yeah, tell that to us, Blart. Good thing. (laughs) Perpetual good thing every year around American Thanksgiving. So... If we're still doing this in another year, and I don't see why we wouldn't, then be prepared for that. Oh, we're going to be done all the books by then. Uh, we've got, like, six months worth of episodes scheduled just for this book, Dave. Uh. So, Tori, what's your good thing? Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. I finally got my copy. It was late. We're never shopping at Walmart again, but that's another story. Um, but I got my copy, and I really love it. It's, um, okay, I, I've... I've put probably 400 hours into the first Hyrule Warriors game, so I need you to believe me when I say this is not 
Hyrule Warriors. It's it's basically another Zelda game. The the first Hyrule Warriors was basically Dynasty Warriors with Link in it, and this is more like a Zelda game. Although they keep the Dynasty Warriors controls on you and they don't let you switch to the standard Zelda controls, which is kind of mm-hmm. weird, but you get used to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you get used to it. But yeah, I'm really liking it. It's it's a fun game. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm probably only a third of the way through it, um, but I like it a lot. So if you like Zelda games, you should definitely pick this one up. I imagine once you finish the story, you you will have only done about five percent of the actual content the game has to offer. Because that's how Warriors games go. So how many characters have you unlocked so far? I got thirteen as of the time of this recording. Oh, not that many. Um, I'd have to count them in my head. I think about Eight. nine. Nine. Who's your favorite so far? Spoiler. Um, I don't know. I mean. I always play with Link. I just play with Link all the time. But um Okay, what weapon? I'd say it's a spear? Come on. Link with the spear is basically Kaladin. That's, that's so like Link with the spear is just a spectacle to watch. I love it. But um did we lose a Tori or is Tori done? No, connection is just really bad. Um so after Link I'd say my favorite characters are uh Impa because her shenanigans are broken. Yeah, oh, yeah, she's stupid broken. I I went back and uh, played a lot more Impa this past week, and I was like, wow, she's stupid strong. Her special gauge fills up in less than two seconds, and I have two yeah. bars. <laughs> because she's got this ability where you can summon doppelgangers, like ninja spirit Impas, to fight alongside you, and each of their hits contributes to the gauge. So <laughs> when you've got all the doppelgangers, you just you, you kill things really fast. And um, my other favorite, just because he's adorable, is going to be Hestu. The, uh, oh, gosh. The Korok yeah, guy. He's, he's really cute, but I haven't played him since, like, the mission that you have to play as him. And he was like, oh, yeah, like you said, he's adorable. Well, he's got some, his shenanigans are similar to Impa's in that instead of summoning doppelgangers, you summon a bunch <laughs> of Koroks to fight alongside you. And they... He, he's got his maracas. His weapon is the maracas, and they're just—it's so fun. Um, Shakalalaka. I yeah, like. I, uh, I completely, I, I completely squeed the first time I found a korok <laughs> on the field of battle. I was like, "We're doing this! Yes, we're doing this!" Oh, oh my boy! God. Right, now so just find eight hundred ninety-nine more. Uh, no, there's only, I, I googled it. There's only like one hundred and fifty in this game. So <laughs> only one hundred and fifty. I feel cheap. Yeah, and and I found one while Matt was watching, and he was like, "What the f is that?" And and I was like, "It's a Korok," and he's he it meant nothing to him. And I'm like, no, "How did you no. watch me play so much Breath of the Wild and you completely?" Okay, what was so, the last thing we talked about? I like uh, Imp is starting to take over Mifa as my favorite character, but I also really like Urbosa. She's probably third, but Link with a spear is definitely where it's at. Why would you play with the OP Broken Master Sword? That's not fun. Because the fun for me really is to just steamroll <laughs> through the game. Like that's it, part that of can fun. be that can be part of the fun, yeah. But the spear just looks so cool. It really does. So, all right, uh, Dave, you read some number of chapters this week, right? Uh, yeah, eighteen, I believe, through twenty-three of Witham of Rar. I mean, Roars of Wadiance. Oathbringer mm. Zero. So, Craig had typed R-O-W in Discord, I I assume speaking of Rhythm of War, and I looked at it, and I was like, R-O-W? Roards of Wadiance? Yeah, I've (laughs) I've been doing that for like eight months, man. Oh, man. Well, I only just heard about the book. Uh, Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. Chapter 18, Bruises. Um... Scholar form. So yeah, we got some new forms coming in through song, the the song of ascension or whatever, the song of uh listing, the listener song of listing, scholar form, which is basically what uh, Mifa's sister is trying to go for, or whatever. Bug girl, bug girl captain that has a crush on Dalinar's sister. Uh, scholar form. All right, but, but well, she's going for storm form, of course, but. Scholar form is kind of like what she probably should be doing for her job if she knew about it. All right, chapter 18. 
It's Chowda. Say it right. I'm suspicious of the Lopen's ability to eat and get stuff done at the same time. I'm imagining this entire conversation between Kaladin and Zahil happening while Renarin periodically jumps off the roof in the background of this shot. That's exactly <laughs> how you should be imagining yep, it. Yeah. That, that is exactly what is happening and how it should be filmed. I was imagining it, and then it was actually like happening in the text, and I was like, yeah, this is freaking hilarious. <laughs> this is like that scene in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Kaladin gets mad and gives Pain Spran a workout. Who were you protecting? Alright, so Renarin's training with his shard plate by jumping off of the roof head first. Uh, and Kaladin is talking to Zahel. Well, first we have uh, Kaladin and the Lopen talking. And the Lopen's basically, he basically has a, like a burrito. <laughs> um, but he calls it chowder. Uh, although. It's well. It's kind of like a burrito, or kind of like a like a gyro, like they ha may have with the, the falafels in them. You know, it's, it's soul cast grain with gravy in a wrap. It's basically it's it's more like a gyro, but I always think of the lopen as like Mexican, so it's a burrito or a gyro. But so anyway, he's like, oh, this is, and Calden's like, that thing's messy, and lopen's like, no, it's great. You can get stuff done while you're eating. It's convenient, but like. How are he going to hold his burrito and do stuff at the same time with only one arm? He rested on... Maybe he could rest it on his shoulder or something. I don't know. Or maybe he's got like a little sling, like a little burrito sling he can hold it in. That a, might work. A burrito babka. Yeah. A gyro babka. Uh, uh... Oh, man. What reminded me of Robin Hood Men in Tights? Would somebody like have it... Someone have an arrow shot in their face and they start swinging daggers around and shred the arrow? I was flying at their face. Did something like that happen in this chapter? No. Oh, I remember now. I remember now. Oh, they're doing this, uh, like, practice fight. And I think it's between Adolin and Kaladin. And so Kaladin's got the spear. It's... <laughs> I remember now. Oh, uh, yeah. That was a good scene. Care, uh, to, so... care to share it with us? Yeah. Remember the scene in Robin Hood Men in Tights? Where um, Robin and Little John were fighting on the bridge with like this, they were doing the, like the staff, fighting with the staff staves on the bridge, and, and like break they would half. keep banging them against each other, and they'd break in half and like throw away half, and then fight with half a stick, and it would keep breaking in half and breaking in half. Um, it was kind of like how they had the uh, like the practice sleeve on the shard blade, and Kaladin was fighting with a spear, so whenever. <laughs> Whenever the practice, like, the, it was a real shard blade with a practice sleeve. Whenever it came in contact with Kaladin's spear, Kaladin had to, like, throw away the spear, and the Ardents would, like, toss him half a spear to replace it to represent the spear being cut in half in a, in a more realistic combat. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. And then I, I guess Amaram is brought up, so Kaladin starts going berserk and starts fighting with Adolin and... Adeline beats him up a bunch, and I think Kaladin's trying to breathe in the stormlight and trying to, like, just to show up Adeline, and he's like, I don't get it. How come the stormlight didn't work? And Sophrena asks him, who were you protecting? So, you know, you can't just use the powers willy-nilly to your own selfish gains. You have to actually uh, trick the powers into believing that you're following the oaths of the Windrunners or something. And that's the end of chapter 18. That that sounds exactly right. The The key to using Stormlight is to trick the powers. Yeah. I mean, what about the Recreants? Like, they betrayed the Spren. They probably, they probably don't actually have to really believe in the Oaths, but they have to at least try to represent it or pretend to represent it. I don't know. It seems like there's going to be some sort of workaround at some point. I mean, that's traditionally how oaths work is, you know, as soon as you swear one, you attempt to find a workaround for it. I mean, I wouldn't say that. You did say that. But I mean, you know, I wouldn't say that's how oaths work in general. But you did. No, I said that there probably will be someone try to work around this oath at some point. like Named Kaladin in this chapter right now. No, he wasn't. He was just... He was just being self-centered and tried to use the power. He wasn't 
he wasn't trying to pretend like he was protecting somebody. He was trying to abuse his power, and so Frano was calling him out on that. But I think that at some point, some somebody with like radiant power is going to, you know, go against the intention, like go against what the oath says intentionally, and somehow figure out a way to use it without actually having to believe in the oath. I didn't give that as a general rule for how all oaths work for all time, which is oh. the way you made it sound. Okay. But so chapter I think 19. It would be interesting if that happens at some point. Chapter 19 and three quarters. Safe things. Five and a half years ago, the master killed his wife and her lover. Do the maids really only wear one glove? Planning vengeance. Hilarin was a shard bearer. Dad throws a chair. All right, so here's a backstory chapter for Shalon, and this kind of tells about uh, some of the events uh, six months after her mother died, and she hasn't really spoken or opened up since then. And her brother tries to talk to her, and he's like, I wish you'd start drawing again. And she overhears the maids talk about how the master killed his wife and his wife's lover. Although, Shalon seems to think that she is responsible for her mother's death, I think. Um, and not her father, maybe. Or, I don't know. So, I don't know exactly what happened, but... Yeah, the, the rumor is that uh, Shalon's dad killed the wife and the lover. I would, I would, It seems like that's what the rumor is going around with the house staff. And I find it really odd that they only wear one glove. Like, I get that they have to wear a glove on their safe hand, and that it's like... It's easier to do cleaning with a glove rather than a safety pouch. But like, why aren't you? Why aren't you wearing a glove on your right hand? Why wouldn't you wear two gloves if you're cleaning? It doesn't make. I don't get it. Why do you only have one glove? You're gonna uh, catch. It it occurs to me that any sort of like filmed version of this, a lot of the women are gonna look like big Michael Jackson fans. <laughs> well, Michael Jackson wasn't a maid, as far as I know. All right. Um, and then her brother comes home with a shard blade. And her dad throws a chair. That's the end of chapter 19. Was it a steel chair? Are we going all no. WWE on this? No, he didn't. No, he can afford it. He didn't steal it. Like, it should have been a table flip, but he just did the chair. So it was actually pretty mild. <laughs> and all the chess mans went flying. Hey, uh, and also, I think maybe that's the shard blade that Shalon has. The one from Hilarin, I guess. All right. Chapter 20, The Coldness of Clarity. Art form, psh, that's just a regular word. That's from the Song of Listing. And art form isn't even a made-up word, it's just a regular word. Alright. The fire was caravanners. Oh, their pursuers really are deserters. That was a caravan and bandits ahead. Everyone was right. Shalon offers her protection. A little like the mink wandering into the white spine's den and asking when dinner is. I would have said, what's for dinner? They are not idiots for wanting to be better than they are. Is this soul casting? And yet, mmm, rip notebook. Alright, so chapter 20, Shalon and Svalkov and crew meet up with the big fire from ahead of them and... Svalkov thought it was bandits, and Shalon thought it was just regular caravanners, and they were both right. It was regular caravanners being attacked by bandits, but they wanted to back off and let the caravanners fight the fires so that they wouldn't have all of their goods be destroyed before they could steal them. And Shalon talks everyone into staying, and she she turns back to the deserters that had been pursuing them, and she talks to their leader, and... Uh, uses some storm lady power, some some manner of light weaving, I guess, uh, to appeal to, to appeal to the deserters. And while the main leader passes his will save, basically everybody else fails their will save, and they decide to help out the caravanners. And Shalon promises to lead them to a better life and uh, get them amnesty for their desertion and whatever other crimes, blah, yada, yada, yada. And so it seems almost kind of like a form of soul casting, right? Like she would, she talks to the ship and tries to convince the ship to turn into water or talks to a stick and tries to convince the stick to turn into fire. Well, she's like talking to these deserters and trying and using stormlight 
to do it to convince these deserters to become heroes. So it seems almost kind of like a soul casting. Um, I'm guessing Pattern made some kind of reaction to it. Is Pattern the one that said, is this soul casting, or did I say that? I don't know. And then she goes and finds her notebook, but there's a page torn out. How mysterious. What could have happened? I bet something really epic and mysterious is going on, like something to do with using her powers, use her memories or something. I don't know. And that's the end of chapter 20. Okay. I Very don't, mysterious. I, I don't have anything to add like for a... chapter 20 because it's all spoilery. Okay. And well, it leads right into 20. Like 20 and 21 are basically like the same events. Like 21 is called Ashes, and we hear about meditation form in the Song of Listing. And here we go. Oh, Bluth ripped the page. That's less interesting. Shalon is the boss now. She just does all the things. Handsome guy. Uh, so yeah, they they fight, and her buddy Bluth uh, dies, but she finds her drawing on his body. The the good drawing she made of what what Bluth might have been. So you know she she was able to to touch him in some way, which was nice. But he's dead, and Shalon's basically just like I don't know. She's just like in charge now. I don't really know how it happened. Like, she somehow got everybody to just, like, do what she says. She, like, yasnaed everybody without being yasna. I don't... Kind of interesting. Without oh, actually when, being a princess. Remember at the end of uh, Way of Kings when Kaladin started giving orders to everybody? That's true. And they, so maybe and it has something to do with their lost radiantness. They just sort of went along with it because no one else was giving orders? Yeah. Hey, look, here's someone who knows what they're doing. Let's follow them. Yeah, but, I mean... It's a little different because the slave caravan has Tvalkov as their leader, and Tvalkov is in direct opposition to what Shalon wants to do almost all of the time, but he still listens to her. And people are listening to her, like, undermine their other, like, maybe, I don't know about Bluth, but, like, the uh, deserters are listening to Shalon instead of their leader, who's straight up just, like, ready to run her down and get going and killing people. So, it's a little different from how Kaladin did it, but Kaladin wasn't a light weaver, so what do I know? And then there's a picture of a handsome guy, which I guess is actually the uh, the, the intro drawing for the next chapter. Uh, not, but it was side by side with the last page of this chapter in my publication, so. Handsome guy. Uh, so yeah, they're on their way to the Shattered Plains. I can't remember if Tvalkov's going with them or not, but Shalon is... Shalon bought a wagon off of him or something. She's like, oh, all your people are dead. You don't need this wagon anymore. I'll buy it off you. And then she borrows a troll from the caravanners that she helped save or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, like, nobody's really... Like, people are acknowledging Shalon's contribution in getting the sides to come together and fight against the, the larger force from the north. So, yeah, she did stuff. It's just that, like, I'm surprised that people actually listened to her. But I guess that's the power of light weaving. Did she speak an oath? I don't remember her speaking an oath. Maybe she, she did. Question. Answer. Did Shalon speak an oath in one of these last two chapters? She and I just not. forgot to write it down. Okay. Uh, beyond that, her order doesn't speak oaths. I thought they all had, like, the the life before death, yada yada. Uh, yeah, that one is universal, but her order doesn't do oaths beyond that. They do truths. Interesting. Which you got a bit of back in Way of Kings. I'm also kind of interested that if Pattern is a Lysprin, then how come he doesn't take more naps? But then again, I've never seen him stand. He's always, like, resting up against some kind of surface. So maybe that's why he's a Lysprin. Yeah, sure. That's a good theory. All right. Or would that be a Laysprin? No, a Laysprin is uh, a member of the Order who's not ordained. So they're like kind of like Ardents. But not that they don't have the ordination. They're lay spren. Like, they're like ardent deacons. Yep, that tracks. But they're spren. They're ardent. Uh, Bill or Ted's little brother from Bill and Ted. I forget which one's which. They're the same character. I don't but his even little remember them deacon. having little brothers. There's a little brother deacon who takes care of Napoleon for the, like, takes him to the water park and stuff. And they go bowling, right? Yeah. And they go to the ice cream shop and they get the, the big challenge Ice cream Sunday. <laughs> I'll have to rewatch that. Maybe watch the new one. 
uh, you should definitely do both. And, you know, fit Bogus Journey in there, too. Sure. I've been meaning to rewatch Bill and Ted and Bogus Journey for, like, the last ten years. I'll be like, oh, we'll watch Bill and Ted soon. All right. Chapter 22. Lights in the storm. Stormform sounds scary. And incidentally, Stormform is only the fourth stanza. Uh, so far, I think the biggest one we had was... It was either art form or meditation form was the 90th stanza. stanza. So there's a lot of forms, I'm guessing. And Stormform is number four. So if there's a significance to the numbers, I don't know. But there you have it. Mm, all right. Renarin has a fidget spinner. Dalinar and Navani are alone. No numbers, and the vision was a rerun. Amaran might join Dalinar's side. Yay! Kaladin spoils the beans about Amaran. I guess that's best to say spills. Kaladin spoils the beans about Amaran. The Lopin's cousin. Shen's slave, no spear. Assassin! Alright, so Kaladin is on guard during a high storm, and I think guess the room that Dalinar is in is locked and only Dalinar and Navani are in there. So, like, someone threw out the theory that, one of the characters, I forget, that maybe Dalinar was writing the Death Notes himself. But, like, if he's in the room by himself with Navani, maybe Navani's writing the Death Notes. That'd be kind of weird. Why would she do that? And Renarin has a fidget spinner. It's more like a fidget cube, but... I think that more people are familiar with fidget spinners, even though fidget cubes are way better. Uh, I got it right here, actually. Can you hear it? Oh, we're getting ASMR of a fidget cube? Where's the button? There we go. I like... Um, yeah. I I also like fidget cubes better. I This isn't as... This is almost identical to the one I first bought when they first came out. Um... My number one thing about the fidget cube is it doesn't have the wobble feature that my pen has. Gotta have a wobble feature, man. Alright, uh... I'm wondering yeah. how many of these clicks and, and, and what-have-you noises I'm gonna end up accidentally deleting because I think they're my microphone muting clicks. Alright. Yeah, so those, Renard those look basically has, basically has microphone muting clicks on, <laughs> on uh, Audacity. I'm probably right. going to delete those on accident. Yeah, but Renarin's got one of them. Um, so we don't get death numbers. We don't get the death clock. And there's a death clock. <laughs> I don't know whether to be thinking of Futurama or Metalocalypse. But... Well, Metalocalypse, 100%. Always think of Metalocalypse. But Futurama is funny, too. Dude, Metalocalypse is probably one of... One of the things that I think is more funny than I should, and I'm kind of embarrassed at how funny I think it is. Well, and, like, <laughs> at least the first album was just, like, great all the way through. Fan-freaking-tastic. Yeah, they oh, released they albums. It. Well, I only watched the cartoon on Adult Swim. I remember this one time when they were sponsor, like they were sponsoring companies or whatever, and uh, Pickles actually starts sponsoring nickels like the currency yeah <laughs> it's like come on it's like nickels is money too guys come on <laughs> oh this show's so dumb but i love it all right i mean the first uh, episode the concert was an ad for coffee well based so for those not familiar the premise of metalocalypse is like there's this dystopian future where a heavy metal band death clock has so much money that basically the entire economy uh, is hinges on them being a successful band. <laughs> uh, the um, entire world economy, not the not entire just world like country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like they they are like the fifth largest economy in the world, and that counts countries. Uh, man, funny. It's like typical Adult Swim fair kind of humor. So take it or leave it. Uh, anyways. There, so there was no death clock um, writing for this high storm, and it was a rerun, so we didn't really learn anything new. Uh, we do learn that Amaram is uh, possibly going to leave Sadius's camp and join Dalinar, and so Kaladin's like, Sir, Prince Dalinar, Lord, I'm going to walk you home personally. And then he's like, all right, I got to tell you something. Amaram's a jerk. And Dalinar says, you have any evidence? And... Kaladin's like, 
I think a couple other people were there. I don't know. <laughs> so we, uh, Dalinar is like, well, it's basically your word against his, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to take action without any evidence, so I would just drop it. Um, and so friend is like, hey, at least he listened to you. And Kaladin's like, he doesn't listen to me because I'm a dark eyes. And I'm like, come on, Kaladin should be more realistic than that. Like, is Dalinar really going to, you know, terminate a lifelong friendship for the guy that's been his guard for a month or two? Uh, I mean, like, it's tough for Kaladin, but at the same time, like, he's got to he's got to have more realistic expectations about what's going to happen. And it does suck because Amaram did do a horrible thing, and he's not going to be brought to justice. Uh, immediately um but you know at least uh dalinar appreciated kaladin's honesty and being able to come to him and stuff like that too so it wasn't all bad and then uh he goes back home to have the stew and the lopin brings his cousin around and he's like your cousin can't just uh can't just switch armies like that and the lopin's like Nah, he took a month vacation last year. No one even noticed. They just had another Herdesian guy take his place. They all look the same to you Alethi people. Um, so, yeah, the Lopin's cousin is now Bridge 4. And Shen... Uh, I don't remember Shen ever actually speaking. And Shen talks to Kaladin. And he says, am I Bridge 4? And Kaladin says, yeah, of course you're Bridge 4. Why wouldn't you be? And Shen says, how come I don't have a spear? I'm just a slave of Bridge 4. And this uh, this really stings Kaladin, and, you know, Kaladin, having been a slave himself and not wanting to, you know, be that kind of master over another person, it's just like, uh... But at the same time, he he can't give, uh... He can't give Shen a spear, because if he starts... The people are already having a hard time accepting them as Dark Eyes and as Bridgemen, but, like, they start arming... Parchment, it's gonna be like, oh, they're really not gonna like me now. So Shen's just like, okay, I'm a slave then, and seems content with it. But I guess he's in slave form, so that's it's kind of hard to break out of that. I guess maybe there's some kind of symbolism in there, like when you when you end up in like slave form emotionally, like it's really hard to break free of that. So I wonder if there's gonna be some kind of theming there. And then uh, someone who was, I guess, practicing with the like, training with the King's Guard just runs up and he's like, there was an assassin. So that's the end of chapter 22. They find out there was an assassin and they leave the stew. Any questionis? What's going on no, with that nope. assassin? I don't know. Hopefully we'll find out before the end of this week's chapters. Uh, how do you feel about uh, the Lopin's cousins? Um, he has more than one. The Lopin has many, many cousins, several of whom were referenced already. Like, the cousin he got the rope from, the cousin he got... Oh, the... yeah, that's right. It just reminds me of, like, he's just like, I know a guy. <laughs> I don't know. And they're all his cousin. Pretty funny. I think they're... Are they different cousins, or is it the same cousin? There are many cousins. Okay. It's got a close-knit family. What more was there to say about it? I guess there's one Herdesian that's easy to tell apart. Is it because he's got two arms? Yeah. So your standard Herdesian has one arm and is the Lopin. <laughs> is that right? And then your off model is someone with a different name who has two arms. Yeah, I'm pretty thankful that I have more than the average number of arms. Well, you're not a Herdesian. But I have even more than the average number of Herdesian arms, I guess. I don't um, I guess it does make right, it easier for you to eat chowda. Uh, Chapter 23. As as in night form, uh, cut balcony girth, and the storm is yet to come. So the assassination attempt was someone snuck up onto the balcony, found King Elokar's favorite lean-in spot, and uh, and cut it with a shard blade. Although the fact that it was cut with a shard blade is kept secret with just uh, Dalinar and Kaladin, and I think I guess Elokar was also there. Um, so that narrows down their suspects a little. But they're not going to let that on. Um, what if it was just Elokar again? Bringing himself attention. He's like, nobody takes my death threat seriously. I, my life is in danger, you guys. Uh, that's basically all that happened here. <laughs> Quick chapter to end the week with. Oh, and Moash was supposed to go to sleep. But he didn't. 
Oh, where did he Mo go? He's just been working, working too hard. Where did he go? Well, he was um, he was working double shifts because he was doing his uh, normal guarding of Dalinar and his family. And then Kaladin also has a select few of his men uh, also working for the Kingsguard to get kind of training with them as well. And so Moash has to do his like Dalinar duties, and then he has to work work with the Kingsguard. And he was on his way out the door, about to go home, when he heard a commotion. So he turned around to see what was going on. And Kaladin's like, "Shouldn't you be in bed?" And Moash is like, "Shouldn't you be in bed?" And uh, yeah. So I wonder if actually uh, this is Zeth has been around this whole time and. Like he could get up on onto a balcony pretty easily with lashing, right? And I think he has a shard blade. Does he? Wait, but if he's a yeah, okay. So Lost Radiance can have shard blades. Shalon has one. So maybe he has. Maybe Shen. I think Shen or uh, Sazeth has a shard blade. But anyway, he could easily get onto the balcony, and it's it kind of looks like a stupid and foolish assassination attempt, like. Well, first of all, it was a shard blade, so that narrows down our suspects. Another thing, like, how, you know, if they can get up here, why don't they just come in and kill him? So they're like, oh, this this assassin assassin is cowardly. They're only going through these indirect methods, but maybe it's just Sazeth trying to uh, trying to lower their expectations of a competent assassination. And I mean, if Sazeth is doing this, it's probably because of uh, King. Taravangian? Taravangian? That's the guy, he's yeah. The, he's, he's the guy with the Oathstone. So if Sazeth is involved, then Taravangian's like the one with the master plan, probably. Right. Oh, there we go. There's chapters of this week in a nutshell. Anything else for Dave? Uh, I don't have anything, Tori. I also don't have anything. Okay. Well, all right. Have a great rest of the recording, guys. But we do have many things for spoiler time. Many all right. Things. Okay, bye. Alright, bye Dave. Bye, Dave. Dave's gone, play the thing. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. Alright, uh, what do we have for this week's chapters? Well, gee, Mike, was Shalon doing some kind of soul casting? I think it was more an eff- effect of her light weaving, maybe the combination of the two. Like she was, that was her, her, um, blah. I can't words. Tori, tag in. Uh, I don't know what words you're trying to say. Okay, so you know how Kaladin has three different lashings, and uh-huh. one of them is pure gravitation, and the other one is pure adhesion, and the third one is the mixing of the two. Uh huh. And Shallan has soul casting, and she has light weaving, and then she can do a third thing that is a mixing of the two. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And the third thing that is a mixing of the two is convincing people that they're... She she cast a buff. She's a buff class. Like a bard, but without the singing. I mean, maybe with the singing. We haven't seen that many other light weavers do their thing yet. That's true. Like, I imagine anything that attracts creation sprint are a thing. Yeah. Like, Shallan is, from what I've seen in Rhythm of War, not to get ahead of ourselves, uh, Shallan has taught her light weavers to do light weaving via art, but that's just because that's what she knows. Yeah, and I think it mentions that one of them is an oil painter? Something like that. And, like, it's it's more effective for some of them and less effective for others. Like, they all each have their own unique ways of doing things. And, like, I think Vatha suggested at one point, like, some different ways of doing things that worked better for some of the new light weavers. So, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point we get, you know, we get a musician light weaver. Bard class confirmed. So, all right. Uh, what, what is next? Totally uh, didn't oh, pick up on Zyle, did he? Not yet, but he doesn't really have much reason to, again, yet. I don't believe Zyle threw out, like, a million color metaphors in this one chapter. Yet, I think that actually shows up later when uh, when Kaladin goes to talk to him alone while he's cranky. When though I do love the visualization of Renarin falling. Yes, off the roof. isn't that so good? Like, all right, go jump off this building. Okay, all right, start doing it head first. Okay, and then that's just happening in the background as 
as you know we watch this conversation happen come on live action stormlight you gotta you gotta make this for me uh so that was 18 19 was shallan with oh shallan's backstory uh so lindivar did not kill his wife and her lover who may not nope. have been her lover i'm honestly not super clear on that front uh yeah i think the guy was just were they ghost bloods i, I don't think know. it was a ghost blood i there's everything's very fuzzy basically whoever he was he was there helping the mom attack or try to restrain or possibly kill Shalon, and Shalon took them both out. Mm-hmm. But Lin took the blame for it, and he has to deal with these rumors for the rest of his life. Lucky for him, that's not that long. Good thing we're in spoiler town. Yep. Uh, I believe he only lives for another, I don't know, three or four years after that? Like, long enough to remarry, and then Shalon kills him in, like, the creepiest way possible. Uh-huh. With the creepy Rockabye Baby song. Yep. So you want to walk us through that just just as a refresher for folks? Not not the creepy song, unless you've got it off the top of your dome, but just like the the methodology yeah, no, of, I, of killing him. Uh, she gives him some poison, but it doesn't kill him. And so while he's weak from it, she strangles him with a, a necklace that, was it her mother's necklace? I don't know. I, I thought it was one that he had just recently given to her. But uh, yeah, strangles him. While singing the creepy lullaby. And under normal circumstances, her brother should have been horrified by her doing this. But he was such an a-hole that they were actually, like, really thankful that she did it. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Uh, moving right along. So we go back to modern-day Shalon. She does the bluth drawing. Do you think that character is a reference to Arrested Development? Because I think that character is a reference to Arrested Development. I, I don't know. I never watched Arrested Development. Oh, that's a shame. It's not for everybody, but it the first couple of seasons were definitely for me. Uh, yeah, and then she does her convincing people that they are better than they are, and they could be better. She she casts her buff, and then everybody dies. Everybody dies. Uh, and then she takes over two caravans and meets up with her new best friend, Tyne, who is a ghost blood. Why are there so many yep. ghost bloods? I don't know. They're sure everywhere. There there seems like there's too many ghost bloods. Like, right? That's really bad at being a secret society if they're just everywhere. Uh that's it for modern day Shalon. Then we move on to Kaladin being a sad boy, and he continues to be a sad boy, but that's fine because the Lopin. I love the Lopin. Also the Chowda. I I keep Hearing it in my head as JFK pronouncing Chowder. Uh, have you seen Clone High? No, I haven't. Okay, I'm pretty sure there are some episodes on YouTube, so you should definitely look that up. I've I have talked about Clone High on here before. You have, yeah. You used it as a good thing once. Yep. Low these many episodes ago. Uh, back when Seth was still on the show, so that was a long time ago. Um. Anyway, yeah, you should you should check that out. They have teenage JFK. As one of the characters, and yeah. Anywho, back to back to this. The Lopin's great. The Lopin's cousins are great. Eventually, we learn that he just basically considers everybody to be his cousin. Yeah. And that the Herdazian language has some ridiculous, probably hyperbolic number of of words for cousin. And of which Goncho is one. Yes, making it a way better word than Sewell. Yes. Although I feel like the Lopin and Galadon need to meet. And I equally feel like this is actually fairly likely to happen since they were in the same book at one point. You know, I feel like I feel like one of them is far too cheerful for the other. I don't know how that's gonna go. Oh, it's a it's your classic odd couple situation. You know, he's very messy, he's very neat, they're roommates. Um alright, so then we have an assassination attempt on King Elokar that isn't a very good assassination attempt. No, it's not. Um, but it's on par with... But it with, almost worked. It's on par with uh, replacing the gems in his shard plate with weakened gems, uh, which is not a coincidence. It's because they were done by the same guy, uh, which is what's-his-face of the offshoot diagram, who we'll, we Graves? will meet later. Huh? Graves. Graves, there we go. Yep. And, yeah, he just 
for a while just keeps doing these like low success chance but also low chance of getting caught assassination attempts on Alucard. Also yeah. making El- Alucard paranoid about the things he sees in the mirror. Uh, that was his cryptic. Is yeah, what he keeps seeing in the mirror. Pointing that out. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on with Elikar that sort of all combines together to make everybody think that he's more paranoid than he should be. But no, he's, if anything, less paranoid than he should be, considering all the stuff going on. So, like, his father was assassinated extremely publicly. Um, he's been at war the entire time that he's been a king. Uh, he has multiple low-level assassination attempts happening all the time. Uh, he has this constant fear of the assassin in white coming back, which we we later find out. He should be afraid of that. That's a thing. Um, he sees cryptics in the mirror because he's a burgeoning light weaver, and they're creepy and don't know how to interact with humans, as we saw with the uh, My Favorite Shallan chapter from Way of Kings. Like... Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Oh, and on top of that, uh, he's also a really bad king who takes advice from people who who uh, don't know what they're talking about and make the situation worse. And, like, everybody he's taken advice from has made things worse for him. When he doesn't take advice from people, it makes things worse for... Like, literally everything he does makes things worse for himself. He has no idea how to get out of this. And it seems like his uncle is trying to usurp him, which... Dalinar isn't trying to, but he does a lot. So, like, there's... Elikar's got a lot going on. Yeah. Did did I forget anything? No, I think you covered it. Oh, and his sister is, like, the the most competent person on the planet, which which just, like, amps up the the level that he is incompetent. Like, his sister, his mom, his uncle, his dad, like, his cousin is, like, the best duelist in the world, and... Like, everybody around him is better at everything than he is. Yeah, that's gotta be hard. But at least he has Wit, who only runs off sometimes. Um, Alright, yeah, I think that pretty well covers Elokar. Uh Anything else on these chapters? I can't think of anything. I'm sure we'll have to go over them again next week when Craig joins us. Probably. Uh, For Kaladin, he's sad. That's it. That's his whole character right now. He's a sad boy. Kaladin is a sad boy. Um, all right, shall we Rhythm of War Part 2? Yes. Com- complete with the second set of interludes? Oh, complete with the interludes? Yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't do the interludes. Okay, I'm that's sorry. fine. We can, we can touch on the interludes next week. So what happened, Tori, in Part 2 of Rhythm of War? Okay, uh, let me reboot first because my connection is being iffy. Okay. And I'm back. Okay. Yeah, I was connected to the wrong Wi-Fi. So hopefully this works better. All right. So tell me about part two of Rhythm of War. Okay, part two. And I wrote up a summary. I'm sure it's longer than two minutes because I got interrupted while I was in the process of editing it down. And then I forgot to come back to it. But um, so part two basically breaks down into we have Shallan and Adolin over here. And then we have Kaladin and Navani at uh, Irithiru. So I'm going to summarize Shallan and Adolin first. Okay. Shallan and Adolin head to Shadesmar on a diplomatic mission to the Honorsprin stronghold, Lasting Integrity. Adolin is excited to see Maya again, the Deadeye Sprin who acts as his Shardblade in the physical realm. He believes the two of them have a real bond, though the other Radiant Sprin accompanying them on their trip think he's wrong. They've barely started their journey when Shallan realizes a spy has come to Shadesmar with them. Shallan, Vale, and Radiant work together to find the spy, but failed attempts cause Shallan to flee into her mind, leaving Vale and Radiant in charge. Though the party sneaks through Shadesmar without encountering any fused, they do have a run-in with some hostile Tukari humans who try to beat up Nodem, an honor sprint we met before in Oathbringer. Adolin rescues Nodem with the help of Maya, who, in addition to her work as a sword, also moonlights as a passable swordswoman. The group proceeds to lasting integrity, where Adolin agrees to stand trial on behalf of humanity rather than let their party be turned away. And he talks some real smack to the honor spren that he's trying to diplomatize. Oh, he does. Yeah, he's bad at diplomacy. He's very charming, but 
That doesn't a diplomat make. He is he is Dalinar at diplomacy. Dalinar, except not young Dalinar, old Dalinar. Right. Like if he had if he had taken a young Dalinar approach to the diplomacy here, it probably would have been more effective short term, and then extremely bad long term. There would be fires and people would be dead. Yeah. Um. So I'm some amount of the way through part three, and. I don't think in part three we're going to check back in with uh, with the Shadesmar group because we haven't right, yet, they... and I'm a, I'm a good way through. And if we were gonna, I feel like we would have by now. Well, you can tell just from the headings at the beginning of part three they they don't list those names. That was a long time ago. Um, ah. Anywho, I don't know why those Tukari people attacked uh, attacked Notum Notum Notom Tom. His name is Tom. Sure. Yeah, I have no idea why they attacked. Gosh, is, I wonder if you'll find out later. That is a mystery. Very um, but, mysterious. But now, let's check in on the other uh, plot thread of Part 2, of which the only plot of Part 2 that matters takes place. So back in Irithiru, Kaladin is working as a surgeon, and Teft volunteers himself as Cal's assistant. While searching for a missing refugee, they visit the Ardents, who help people with mental health issues. Kaladin decides to treat those patients the way he would want to be treated, creating Roshar's first support group for folks with PTSD. About then, Dalinar and the Coalition go off to fight an Emol. Navani bids them farewell, before settling in to play with her scholars while her husband is out of the way. She's interrupted by the blinking of the strange span read she found in Part 1. She answers the call while her scholars triangulate the signal, finding that the call was indeed coming from inside the house. Navani loses the span read in order to force the caller to send her another one, which gives Navani a chance to catch their spy in the act of planting the device. Before she can question the captive, she receives news of an explosion. The scholars she tasked with studying Gavilar's dark sphere have made a breakthrough, and not the good kind. Concurrently, Vinley, along with Raboniel and an army of baddies, have made another breakthrough, again, not the good kind, into the basements of Erythiru, and have begun work to undermine the tower's defenses. They manage to do something that renders all the tower's radiance unconscious, all apparently except Kaladin. Navani has just enough time to receive a message from the suspicious span raid before communications are cut off. The caller was the sibling all along. She discovers that she can talk to the sibling through Urithiru's walls. Together, they manage to activate a Fabriel shield to stop Raboniel's plan, but the tower is still overrun. Although Raboniel captures Navani, Kaladin manages to escape into the tower, hauling an unconscious Teft with him. So, the one plot that matters is Kaladin invents modern therapy, up to and including undirected group therapy. Yay, Kaladin. And we there's some other you. stuff, but who cares? Because Kaladin invents therapy, yay. And I I would have been perfectly happy for the entire rest of the book being Kaladin Stormblessed action therapist. Oh yes, I need that as like a short story or a novella on the side. But but instead, uh, part three Kaladin is diehard. Yep, that tracks. Okay, so Mike, since I, and I imagine at the point that this plays, all of our listeners... I've already finished the book. I mean, you have not yet finished the book. By the time hear... this gets released, I 100% will have finished the book. Well, yes, yes, but right now you haven't. Correct. So let's have your theories. What's going to happen in part three and beyond? Um, I have read some spoilers, so I, I, I can't actually do this honestly. Mike. I mean, I don't know many things, but like some of the bigger stuff, I, I have seen spoilered. My. I don't mind spoilers. I like spoilers. But that makes it less fun for me to interrogate you. It does, and I'm sorry to have taken that from you. Okay, well, what spoilers have you heard? Uh, alright, are we doing this? I suppose we're doing it. What else are we going to talk about? Alright, fair enough. Uh, so I have heard that Teravangian becomes the new Odium. The hell you say. Uh, I don't know the details on that which is, you know, kind of the point of continuing to read. Um, but, yeah, that's that's one of the bigger reveals. Um, I'm trying to remember some other stuff that I've that I've read that matters, but most of it doesn't seem to. Like, uh, one of the 
complaints that I've read is that the uh, the Shadesmar plot like concludes and then you just never check back in with them and like it, um, it feels kind of abrupt. Yeah, that is so one of the complaints that I read after I finished the book and I got on Reddit to see what other people were saying. Um, there's a lot of complaints about the pacing and you've already pointed out that, well, it, it doesn't look like we get Shadesmar stuff in part three. Uh, well, you don't. You, you don't get Shadesmar stuff for a really long time. It's like they make it to lasting integrity, like, I will stand trial, and then there's nothing. I mean, I'm, o- I'm okay with that. Like, that's that has been a standard of the, of the Stormlight books from the beginning, is you just, you get whole parts where there just aren't sections of this plot. Like, there's, there's entire sections of, uh, there's at least one full section of uh, Way of Kings where you just don't check in with Shallan. Right. Right? Like, that, that has been part of the, uh, part of how these books have been set up from the beginning. But to be fair, at that point in the plot, you don't care about Shallan. Fair, uh, but at the same time, like, after, after the Oathbringer road trip, um... I wasn't given much reason to care about Shadesmar because that was by far the worst part of that book. Like it's all stuff that will matter later and has already mattered for this book, but like during I I could have skipped it entirely. The only thing that kept me going during that part was was uh Zeth doing his skybreaker training. So like not checking back in with with Shadesmar is fine. Um Kaladin being being a diehard, up to and including an air vent scene. Did did you spot that? Were you were you aware that it was a diehard at that point? Yeah, yeah, I totally got the diehard vibe. Um, I'm no longer convinced that Navani will bond the sibling. I don't know if that's a thing that will happen, or like if if the sibling getting bonded is in this book. Um, introducing a third type of light is weird at this what feels like late stage agree uh especially since there seems to be like no actual source of it like the everstorm gives you stormlight or not the everstorm the the high storms give you stormlight the everstorms give you void light and to get life light you apparently have to be lift yep apparently so that what so like does there have to be a a night watcher bondsmith in order for there to then also be a functioning tower of urethiru like, is that what's going on? I don't know. Can't answer. Can't answer because it's not in this book, or can't answer because it is and you don't want to spoil me for stuff that I haven't already spoiled myself on? Yes. Okay. Um, okay, so that's your theory about the sibling. I guess. I don't know if I'd what's... even call it a theory, just musings out loud. Okay, well, muse out loud about what's going to happen with Adolin and Maya. Um. See, this is another thing that I didn't actually get spoilers on, just that... The plot ends, and then they're done. Like, just like, yeah, the trial happens, and somehow concludes, and then we just, we're just done with those characters. Somehow concludes, but how does it conclude? Um, I mean, they're not killing off Adolin, or imprisoning him indefinitely. They're, they're not doing that to my best boy. They just aren't. Hey, speaking of, speaking of best boy, Felt is, uh, is on the Shadesmar team. Oh, right. Along. Godeki and the stump. I yep. really like that. And yeah, the the stump is I think the only one of the team who doesn't speak Alethi, and she has to translate through her spren. I love. Um, I don't, I don't know how many you've seen so far, having only made it to part three. I love the illustrations of the various types of radiant spren. Yes, they're very good. Uh, particularly just getting to see what they look like in Shadesmar when they're people-shaped. Um, I would I would hope that if we get like a comprehensive art splash page of, it, of all the Radiant Spren in this book, then maybe the next book will have the same thing, but the corrupted versions. Ooh, yes, that would be fun. Because I don't know that there's room left in this book for also that. And I feel like it would have started already if that were a thing. But, but yeah. Um, oh, the other big spoiler that I did read is that Teft... Uh, dies. Yes, indeed. R.I.P. Taft. And it may or may not prompt Kaladin's fourth oath. I honestly don't know on that one. Probably. Do you uh, want an answer, or are you musing nah. out loud again? I'll, I'm just musing out loud. 
Uh, I did just last night read a Yasna POV chapter, which involves her wearing plate and doing soul castings. And there were hints, but very few things actually said outright, which is frustrating. I'm pretty sure they do say outright that it is uh, her radiant plate. Right, but not like the mechanics of how it works, just it working. That's true. And like she considers um, trying to transform a rock, but the rock doesn't seem like it'll it'll go along with what she wants, so she uh, soul casts the air instead. Yes, I like that part. Like the rock is... had been a rock for a long time. It, it was just going to stay that way. But the air was feeling very moody, so air can be oil. And then, like, she rigged a flint and steel in each hand somehow of her plate. Not super clear if that was a soul-casting thing or if that was, like, set up ahead of time. I'd have to look at it again. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I'll get more later, but eh. Yasna continues to be frustratingly mysterious, and Wit more so, and they're working together to be double mysterious. Um, So, yeah, that's... That's where I'm at in actual reading, and I believe that covers the bulk of the of the spoilers that I have read. Well, okay. Which of the spoilers are you most looking forward to? I need to know more about what's going on with Teravangian, Teravangium, and that guy, the old guy. You know, you know him, and Odin. Uh-huh. I like all the different uh, nicknames people have given him online. Uh, there's Teravodium, um, but there's also Todium. I think I like Todium. My favorite is Vargodium. Oh, that's good too. Which, I guess Teravangian taking the the shard kind of solves similar issues that I had Moash taking the shard to solve, but I guess it also doesn't necessarily prevent that from happening in the future. I mean, uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, but um, I'm just going to say I didn't see it coming. Um, But also, I'm not completely sold on it yet because Odium uh, race rather has been the big bad for the whole Cosmere so far and now like we're just gonna swap him out like uh, I don't know how I feel about that for a guy who has proven that he will gladly murder children for bits of information um, has the potential intellect that presumably he can now control being a shard uh, that allowed him to functionally access fortune without actually being able to access fortune, to predict the future extremely effectively, which the lack of that ability to predict the future w- led to Ruin's downfall, if you'll recall. So now he has that plus whatever the shard can do. Uh, yeah, Vargodium is scary. I guess you'll learn more about that later. I guess I will. Although I'm guessing it's also going to be like a frustratingly short series of events in the uh, in the avalanche while a bunch of other stuff is also happening. So I won't even get to see the repercussions of it until the next book in three years. Am I am I close there? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I I did. Uh, for those of you listening at home, if you get on our Discord channel, you can see the diagram that uh, that we keep talking about on this podcast. Not the one from the books, but the diagram of the podcast. Uh, I updated the diagram with the information for Dawn Shard and Rhythm of War. So if you guys want to see when we are projected to get to those books um, and discuss them for reals, uh, you can you can check that. Um, this does put um, Zeth potentially cleansing Shinovar way lower on the priority list, I think. Because like, at, at the point where we are now, why on earth would that matter? I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Like, I'm sure Zeth still cares about it, because of course he does. He has a personal stake in it. But, eh. Um, anyway. Oh, uh, Dalinar apparently now has the ability to see people's pasts by touching them that he has used once and has had many opportunities to use more and understand more and then hasn't. And that's frustrating. Yes. Because he did that to Nail and then didn't do that to any of the heralds on his team or anybody else. Just, come on, man. New power. Play with it a little bit. But we're getting away from Part 2. We've been away from Part 2 for a while. I was going to say. So what else in Part 2 mattered? 
And the answer is none of it. It's Kaladin being a therapist. That's what mattered. That's that's what mattered. Kaladin Stormblast, uh, action therapist. There are some other things that uh, I'm sure we'll get back to after you've finished the book. Uh, again, I don't know what you've already spoiled for yourself. I don't want to spoil other things for you. Um, but there are some things that came up in these chapters that end up being important later. And um, we'll talk about them then. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there are. Like, the whole everything going on with Shallan matters, I guess, if it has to. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on with Shallan. There always is. She's she's a drama. Girl got issues. She's a drama high princess, I think would be the title. I mean, if there are high princes, then I guess there would be high princesses. That tracks, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be the title. Okay. Yeah. Like, her whole thing is drama. But we'll talk about it some more next week. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead Ooh, and... Wait, no, we nope. won't talk about it some more next week, because Shallan's not in part three. That's true. But we'll probably we'll go talk over about part other two things. a little bit again with Craig here. Which, uh, happy birthday, Craig. Yes, happy birthday, Craig. Although your birthdays don't matter anymore, because now you have a kid. Nothing about you is important anymore. Yeah, let us know when the kid's birthday is. That's the important thing. All right, I'm going to go ahead and end it. Okay. Good night, Internet. Bye, everybody. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.